Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Activist. I'm Siri Kulsa, and I'm delighted to have you join me today for another great conversation about how businesses can engage in social and political issues to lead positive change in the world. We're recording this at the start of COP28, so I thought it would be a good time to do a deep dive on how the business sector is addressing the climate crisis. So I'm very happy to welcome Angela Polk for the conversation today. Angela is CEO of the Climate Board, a company focused on supporting corporate executives to develop and execute sustainability strategies to ensure business resiliency and competitiveness. Their tagline is, Corporate Sustainability Made Real. Angela is a seasoned leader and generalist with, global, with a global perspective honed over a career focused on developing the big picture context, building relationships, and facilitating consensus from grassroots and startups to multinational and corporate board levels. Angela holds dual MBAs from Columbia University's School of Business and London Business School, as well as a BA in political science from the University of Georgia. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. So Angela, um, I really am very excited to have you join us on The Corporate Activist today because um, COP is starting over in the other side of the world and there's been a lot of attention on that. And I thought um, I really want to dig into what's happening with the climate crisis and how businesses are addressing it. And you seem like the perfect person to speak about that. So I'm really glad that you're joining us. So thank you for that. But I'd love to start by just getting to know you a little bit and um, learn about your background and, and what you studied and what sparked your interest in sustainability. Great. Thanks, Siri. So you did a nice job of giving me a little bit of an intro, but I think um, maybe when I think about what uh, sparked my interest, it probably goes back to uh, one of the first jobs that I had my, in my career. And, you know, I started off, uh, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Russia from 2000 to 2002. And I remember it was, you know, I'd never traveled outside the country, you know, in this smiling American. And really, I was, uh, I was put in my place a little bit, like, I was very humbled, right? Like, you know, I, I always don't have the great ideas. And what I noticed, uh, I actually tried to get funds to help be, build a teacher resource center in the local village where I was about two and a half hours northeast of Moscow. And I ended up going to a business and it was actually the Kodak company. You know, that's what I went there and I said, hey, I'd like to have some funds. And the CEO there who actually lived in Moscow came in and said, you know, Angela, you need to speak my language. Mm. Like we all want to make the world a better place, but you need to talk to me in, in, in business terms. Yeah. And that sort of clicked to me. Like yeah. it, it was something that I just uh, I was like, you know what? You're right. Like you can't just, you know, just do goodwill. It has to be a there has to be something that's meaningful for everyone. And actually what I could see the, the value of that company, I could see what the tax dollars did in the local village. Right. Mm -hmm. I saw new roads built. I saw yeah. like an ATM come in the second year of my service. And so I think that right. for me was I understood the importance of business and sort of like, you know, working with governments. That's yeah. where I, I started to see the broader stakeholder thing. And then I went back home to South Georgia, and I'm from a really rural area, you know, mm. I think it's maybe 24,000 people in the city, wow. and you know, agrarian. And so what we are known for is peanuts and tobacco and poultry farming. <laughs> and I went back, exactly. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and regardless of how, of how you feel about those industries, 
you know, it's it's the economy for people, right? right. So they're not bad people if they work in tobacco and you're not bad if you work in a poultry, you know, it's the job. So yeah. it's, I understand the importance of economy and good business. And what happened was I went back uh, to South Georgia and I ended up working in a poultry farm for, or wow. a poultry plant for about a year that supplied chicken stock and like, you know, to some of the biggest companies and uh, uh, food manufacturers in, in the States. And what I realized was actually... Um, there was a there was a summer that uh, I, I just did it for a year and then I moved up to New York uh, because I wanted to still make the world a better place. But mm-hmm. there was a, a summer where the, the, the company was challenged or the sales weren't as strong as they were. And part of it was is the dark meat, the chicken, the chicken legs mm-hmm. were being um, shipped to Russia. And there was a tit for tat against Russia, (laughs) between the Russia and the US around steel, like there was a ban on Russian steel. And in retaliation, there was a ban on, uh, on uh, the dark meat. So the Bushnogi, the Bushnies, George Bush at the time. (laughs) So I I just started to see how things are interconnected, right? And so how even at a global level, it affected, you know, a local small community. And then I, um, and I guess the other thing I would say, you know, so I moved up to New York, worked for a, a New York City budget think tank. So really got the opportunity to understand how uh, funds from a federal, state, municipal level mm-hmm. are uh, are filtered across um, different organizations, different non-for-profits. And again, I remember sitting at a table in uh, in City Hall and there was a group of you know really great uh, leaders from non-for-profits around mm-hmm. the table. And they and what they were saying was, you know, we need to get, you know, those fat cats on Wall Street need to give us money. And I just remember thinking, I, I knew some of the backgrounds and nobody had worked on Wall Street. <laughs> right, right. And actually the, the organization that I had been working with at the time actually got funding from like a large American bank mm. from their foundation. Mm-hmm. And so again, I saw sort of the interconnectedness. And so for me, when you ask about sustainability, I think it's that broader stakeholder understanding right. that, um, you know, it's just something that I've, that I've noticed you know, since the earliest stages of my career. I guess one more thing that I would give you is that I transitioned from sort of the non-for-profit space into Wall Street, actually. And I, mm-hmm. I had my first job at Citigroup. I, w- I worked for the leading equity analyst at the time. We covered industrial conglomerates. So these, you know, big behemoth companies, they were the, they were the Googles of, of the time. And I remember going um, to Brazil and watching the World Cup was happening at that time. So there were LCD, there was, it was right when LCD screens were coming out mm-hmm. and there was a lot of talk about it. And then there were a lot of trains that were being sold in China. So we covered GE. So that, but I actually understood, you know, after having lived in a high growth economy, I understood like what would drive growth. And so I was really interested in, you know, uh, good businesses and globalism and, and that sort of thing. So I hope that helps. I, I yeah. might have gone a little off. No, but, it's amazing. Um, I, I think actually uh, a bit like myself that having cross-sector experience, um, you really see the interdependence and the need for, yes. you know, for people to kind of get out of their silos and be able to work together to have the greatest impact. And yes. so, yeah, it, it sounds... Um, Sounds like, you know, you've had a, a great experience doing that. So now you're at the Climate Board, and I'd love to hear more about what that does and, and how it works. So I've worked about 20 years in financial services and at, at or for the leading you know, global banks. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the last jobs that I had, it was at a, a large European headquartered bank, and I led large scale transformational change. And a lot of it was driven on the back of global regulation mm-hmm. due to uh, money, money laundering, 
and, and there, there was a lot of governance issues. And right. so I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to make change in troubling times across mm. multiple jurisdictions. Mm. And so when I think about sustainability and climate and the new regulations that are coming up around climate in multiple jurisdictions right. or, you know, anything else that's happening, I can really understand how difficult it is for change makers inside an organization, you know, to get people on board or, you know, help help prioritize their efforts internally, right? Communicate up and across the organization in order to actually get things done. So the Climate Board, we work with corporate executives uh, helping inform their sustainability strategies and helping them execute. So really thinking from an operational perspective. And just by nature of what's being regulated, climate is at the forefront of the discussions that we have with our members. Right. Um, and uh, and so, so that's who we work with. We work with uh, companies globally. We have uh, companies that are headquartered uh, in Europe, uh, in, in North America, uh, and across four key sectors. And so those sectors are financial and business services. It's real estate. And when I talk about mm. real estate, that's the broader built environment. It in, I also include hotels in that. Mm. It includes uh, transport and logistics, and it includes consumer goods. Mm. And so when you think about transport and logistics, these are like trucking companies that right. Uh, have their clients or consumer goods right. companies, right? right? Who now are, you know, maybe they're leading in sustainability or in climate disclosures, and now they're asking it of their suppliers. Right. Or, you know, maybe it's a financial institution and now they're thinking about how they're being requested from their investors. You know, how are they thinking about climate? And so then they have to think about yeah. what kind of assets do they have in their loan portfolios? Like, how are they looking at real estate? Yeah, right? no, and so it's actually interconnected. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I'm, so so just to make sure I understand it. So you're working with companies. What are they? What are they coming to you for exactly? So part of our business model is uh, it's the network. Uh, and so what you what you might not get in, in an industry association is soundboarding with your peers. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing? How are you how are you thinking about, uh, you know, transitioning to energy? So if you're a large baked goods company, you know, how are you thinking about moving toward from gas powered stoves to electric? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you are a large trucking company, how are you thinking about uh, electrifying your fleets? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a business model where your truckers actually are, are, are contractors and not full-on employees, what's the incentive model there? How do you think about actually doing that? Do you do it in, country, in locations that are um, that are urban, where you've got more uh, uh, electric charging stations? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, can you do it in a place like South Georgia? Part of the value proposition is uh, using us as a sounding board and the network mm -hmm. as a sounding board to get an understanding of best practice right. uh, insights, helping inform your strategy so that you, you, you're really operating with a, a breadth of uh, information so that you can make um, so that you can make a, so you can make a strategy and execute on it. Right. And and theoretically, it's giving them. Um, a wider range of options than they would maybe be able to come to themselves because you've done this with other in other industries with other clients and you kind of have the the, the big picture view on it so you can kind of help them help direct them in the right ways whereas I imagine a lot of even if even if companies have a chief sustainability officer or someone like that um, some of this stuff is really daunting right absolutely 
Absolutely. And you know, the, the, the other part of uh, how we work, so I just on the business model, we're subscription based. Mm -hmm. And so basically we, and when we have a member that's onboarded or when we work with our members, you get a dedicated analyst. Mm -hmm. And so it's someone that you can use as a sounding board and yeah. they serve as a conduit to our network. Right. And so, you know, if you are a chief sustainability officer and you've been newly posted to your role, right, maybe you, you're not going to have the breadth of everything, right? But if you've got someone that you can go to and say, hey, I've got a board meeting or, hey, I've got a meeting with the CEO, you know, do you have any ideas about what other organizations have done? Or can mm -hmm. you help me do a deep dive on this regulation? Right. You know, I'm not going to say that we're regulatory experts, but we can do some of that homework up front mm -hmm. that can help inform a conversation. Right. Yeah, which, you know, I, I think it sounds like it must be very valuable for for people. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, so you mentioned conversations, let's say internal conversations with boards and things like that. And I'm curious from your experience, what are the different stakeholders like looking for from these types of transitions? Because I imagine there might be something different that a customer might be thinking that they want from their trucking company versus what the board might be wanting. And I'm just wondering if there's, if the companies are challenged in, in balancing that and how you might help them in that. Um, I mean, absolutely. I think they're challenged. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Syria, I mean, particularly in an economy where there's so much uncertainty, mm. you know, and uh, things like global trade have affected supply chains over and the pandemic has been affected, you know, like CEOs and boards are really thinking about like what they're disclosing, what mm. with regards to targets, mm. are they actually going to be able to meet those targets? Right. You know, what trade, what trade-offs are in place? Like what, what do they need to consider? Mm. Like if we put money towards something where we might not see the return on investment now, like uh, how do we explain that to our investors yeah. who might've invested in us for another reason? So, I mean, absolutely. It's um you know, it's a challenge, these trade-offs. And, and what people need to do is just be working with the best amount of, amount of information possible. Mm. And, what, and what I think that is, is like, you know, what are your peers doing? You right. know, what are other industries doing? Um, mm. It's just being informed. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's having to be informed across a lot of stuff. And it kind of depends on the nature of your organization. You know, we've worked with, uh, we work with and speak to some organizations where, um, I mean, similar to that poultry plan I mentioned, mm -hmm. like folks have been in their jobs for 30 years. Right, right. Yeah. And so in those instances, like, how do you make sure you're bringing in the talent or the expertise, you know, to help inform your decision making mm -hmm. at an executive level? And you know, I, maybe that's a new person, maybe yeah. it's a service. And I imagine if, if they're looking at something like, let's say it's a trucking company and they're looking at electrifying their fleet like that's actually going to be impacting their entire business model. So it's not just buying some new trucks. It's really probably even affecting their their routing and, and all kinds of things. So these transitions, it may be just um, nominally around an energy source or something, but actually it's having a much larger impact on the whole business and, and perhaps even how they do business, right? And I think we might have talked about this um, in another conversation, but it, it's, uh, you know, so and so it's very different for different industry sectors. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a structural change that's happening for sure in transport and logistics. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, but then you think about financial services and maybe it's something where they're already looking at risk, right? They've already been having to look at client and customer risk and supply chain risk for quite some time. And so maybe it's just enhancing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like, when you're dealing with your clients, what is really um, their motivating factor in terms of making these transitions? I mean, I imagine that perhaps if they're having to deal with a lot of regulations, then obviously that's something that they they don't really even have a choice about. I've you know worked a little bit with the, the shipping industry and their transition mm-hmm. into uh, more sustainable um, fuels and things. And actually some of what's driving their decision-making has to do with their financing that they're going to be able mm-hmm. to access where who's ever financing them are actually putting in place certain sustainability measurements for them so that even if they had no interest <laughs> in, in making yes. a transition, they're being forced to because they won't be able to get financing if they don't. That's right. And to me, that's that interconnected piece. Right. Right. And so if you are late to the game in assessing broader sustainability risk into your organization, you will have a competitive challenge. Right. 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 Because that might be then you have to go to the bank that's going to give you the highest rate on the loan. Right. Right. So you have to really think about what's going on and who are you working with? Like, who are your it's interconnected? That's what I find fascinating, Siri. Yeah, it really is. And and I imagine is some of it being driven, like some of the people I've worked with are actually being motivated by, in a way, altruistic values where mm-hmm. they feel like one day their children are going to ask them, you know, what did you do in the climate crisis? <laughs> you know, how did you serve? How did you make the world better? And so they're being motivated by kind of personal factors in a way. And I'm wondering, are you seeing any of that at all? Or is it mostly around regulations and and financing and and I'm curious. (laughs) No, you know, I'm going to say no. I think I'm working with uh, folks that are business mind, they're commercially minded. And so I think it would be the way that I would say um, it's maybe it's more who they want to attract as a, as a a consumer. Mm. And so what, so the example I would give is um, there's a really, there's a leading hotel chain that we've uh, that we've worked with, and they, you know, um, headquartered in, in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, so there's a lot of things there around sustainability. You think about operating a hotel in a desert, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, they uh, they're doing some really amazing uh, thought leadership on water, and they're doing yeah. so, just a lot of really amazing thought leadership there. And they're doing because they know that the the customers that they want to attract are interested in this. Mm. Right. So they know it's right for them because they've got a shortage of water and they have to think about right. the water supply and that, that sort of things. But, but actually commercially minded, they want to attract a certain kind of uh, customer that's going to pay sure. a premium for their services. Right. And so maybe a bit more pragmatic, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. We probably have learned thus far, and it's something we talk about on the podcast a lot, that, you know, altruism only gets you so far. And, and if there isn't a, if there isn't a business case for it, it's not sustainable. There's all kinds of people with good intentions, but I think that what is really sustainable and what can really work for the long term is when 
these practices are part of the business model in a way that makes economic sense. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's never a question of like, should we or shouldn't we? It's just that this is this is best practice. So yes, I, I'm curious, how do you also help companies? Because I, I imagine that once they're taking, uh, they're, they're engaged in these energy transitions and they're working on saving water or they're electrifying or they're, you know, working with other um, energy sources, um, it's really important for them to communicate those initiatives to their customers, to their employees, to their other stakeholders. How is that something that you help with and, and how have you seen people do that well? I think it's important to think about uh, the size of companies and the mm -hmm. level of resources that they have. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean is when I think about a large multinational uh, corporate, uh, you can have a CEO that talks about setting targets uh, you know, in 2025 or in 20, 2030, and they have enough resource that they can deploy across the organization. Mm -hmm. But if I think about a mid-sized corporate, the level of resource that they have, meaning human capital, yeah. is different, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if the CEO who's been, you know, maybe it's uh, a person that's been in the organization, you know, for quite some time, they're going to be a bit more hesitant to disclose a target mm -hmm. unless they know they can back it up right? because they're not operating with the same level of resource. Yeah. And so I think that I think that nuance is very important mm. to uh, to consider. Right. And then I would say maybe the, the customer part again, you know, you think about a consumer good company, you think about, you know, I don't know, a Procter & Gamble or, you know, Adidas or, or Nike, you know, it's important. They think about their communications and disclosures mm -hmm. with their customers in mind. Yeah. Yeah, you know, know, like it's important to have recycled, you know, uh, recycled uh, materials in your shoes or it's important to have, you know, packaging like they're thinking about it. It's not just from the regulatory, but they're thinking right. about the, who, who's buying their who's buying their products. I'm curious, you know, with the companies that you work with, are there any tips or any advice you have? Because we, we try to use this podcast to give advice for companies who are working on these kind of issues. Um in, in how to avoid greenwashing, um, because certainly there's a lot of backlash right now about um, companies that, you know, have a nice uh, logo and, and, you know, uh, trees, green trees on their on their website and their packaging. Yeah. And but then when you dig down a little, you know, the substance isn't really there. Does it make sense for you as a company? Like, are you saying, you know, are you disclosing things or making commitments, you know, because it's, you know, the timing, you know, and it seems like what everybody else is doing, or is it actually relevant to your business? Have you actually thought about this is what we think is most critical, or this is how we think we can make a target, you know, how we can meet a transition target? Because this is this is our, you know, this is us, right? Like you have a strong yeah. understanding of your own business lines, of where you operate, of how you operate, and you've done the homework on what it means for you. And so when you disclose it, it's easy to back up. And I think, you know, it's definitely a topic that we've discussed a lot here is being authentic to the, these kind of um, these kind of commitments. And, you know, as we talked about, customers are very, um, very sensitive to being greenwashed or any any of this. So it's really important that. But um, it was interesting. I had a guest who talked about green hushing. Have you heard about that? Mm -hmm. I have. Yeah. And I think it's true. It's a new term for I me. I think it's, yeah, I but I, but I do see that actually, mm -hmm. I, you know, we, you know, and, and that to me is like, if you're operating in certain jur jurisdictions, you yeah. know, like, a, you know, in certain states, you know, it's a little bit more uh, contentious to say green or do certain right. things. And so, you know, 
Um, but when I think about the green transition or when I think about climate or sustainability more broadly, like it's just good business practice. Like right, it's right. business viability, right? It's not like do good, feel good. It is really like you have to be thinking, um, am I going to be competitive you yeah. know, in three years because my peers who've been vocal about something and or operate on a shoreline or I don't know, they've been doing something and I've been waiting and seeing what happens. I think corporates definitely are sensitive to what they're disclosing, mm-hmm. but, the, but they're still moving. Right. 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 And I and I guess the other example I would give is that we've talked to a we've talked to a, a mid-sized regional bank in the United States and uh, that operates in, you know, uh, in, in, in the south, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the executives that we've been speaking with, they, they actually don't have sustainability in their titles, hmm. like in their functional titles, hmm. but they're actually doing the work and they have been for quite some time. Interesting. And so it's not just the hushing. It's like, I mean, <laughs> I mean a couple a couple things there is one, it means that it's already integrated. So it's not right. like this novel thing, like thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, broader sustainability or viability. But two, like, uh, you know, and I think that's a sign of uh, leadership, actually, like they're already doing it, but it's quiet. Right. right? And they're not uh, they're not beating their chests about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I I'm hoping that will evolve because obviously our objective here on on the corporate activists is that corporations are taking leadership in these areas and in places where there's a vacuum of leadership, whether it's through the you know, local or even national governments or from NGOs that there is a place for corporations to be able to say, you know, this is really the right decision. This is what we have to do for our community, for our future. It's obviously a very, you know, it's a very difficult line to walk. And so, and obviously, you know, companies are worried about backlash and, and, um, being accused of greenwashing or being accused of being woke or all of this and and but but I I'm I would prefer that they you know hush it up rather than they stop doing it so it's encouraging to hear that you're saying they're still you know it's still happening they're they just may mm-hmm. not be ready to talk about it yet I think I think that's right I mean and then there's some you know then there's some companies that are disclosing um what they're doing. But yeah, I think, you know, I think it's happening regardless, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, it's a viability issue. Climate is a viability issue. It's not just a, yeah. it's, it's, it's not yeah. just because it makes you feel good. Right. And, and actually that's my next question is that it sounds like with the climate board, you're working across, you know, a pretty good section of, um, of sectors, but I'm, I'm wondering, um, are there, you know, any industries that you think are kind of immune from this that, you know, um, that this doesn't touch? Or is it something that really every business out there needs to be thinking about their energy transitions? I think everybody needs to be thinking about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, so it'll be more relevant for some than others, but everybody needs to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you mentioned that you're working internationally, how do you see it differing from, let's say, Asia to Europe to North America in terms of the sort of willingness and uh, motivation for the transitions? We don't have a footprint in Asia. Actually, okay. we have uh, we work with large multinationals that operate in Asia, but most of our interfaces with uh, with North America and Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would say is Europe's, Europeans are leaders 
mm-hmm. right now. Like mm-hmm. the, the and it's driven by regulation. Yeah. Uh, and um, and and the same. I just use that that parallel to to money laundering. You saw the activity first there, uh, and then it sort of filtered across the world. So. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I guess the difference I would say, too, between um, what I've experienced with some of the European versus like uh, the U.S. Uh, regulators is that in Europe, you have to there's a lot more burden on what it means or like, uh, what can I say? When you think about an impact assessment, the, mm-hmm. the regulators are asking it's not as prescriptive. That's mm-hmm. what I need to spit, spit out. It's mm-hmm. basically like you need to understand what climate means to your organization and then demonstrate how you're going to address that problem. Hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, it might be you need to add something to your you, you need you need to disclose X in the hmm. U.S. It just feels hmm. quite a, a bit more prescriptive. But I would say we're seeing leadership out of the uh, the European Union yeah. uh, in the U.K. And then I would say absolutely in California. Right. I mean, you see right. all the regulation that's happening out there. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's definitely an area where we're watching. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, it's changed. It's not just at a state level. You know, it's at a mm-hmm. municipal level as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've got this now and it's a project that we've been working on uh, uh, for a few of our members, it's you know like their sustainability executives are now almost thinking like serving as like government affairs folks. <laughs> like they're having to monitor you know regulation at a municipal level or educate people on I don't know mm. why gas stoves can't transition. Uh, you can't transition you know fully to electric stoves because of grid issues, right? Like right. so they're having to like educate and communicate to, to broader sets of stakeholders. You know it's really enhanced their roles. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, not necessarily um, if you're a bakery who's focused on on making, you know, um, tasty cookies or something, um, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily imagine that that would would be something that you'd have to do, but can see how, um, you know, that's becoming a more integral part of, of business these days. Right. That has a very far reaching uh, impact to all sectors of the operation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can imagine if you're someone who's been at this for a long time and maybe no one listened to you <laughs> for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. it must feel pretty good to finally be, you know, be at the big table and, and be able to lead on some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of a conversation I had uh, back in the summer and it was um, a sustainability executive who had been asked to go on the Investor Roadshow. Mm. Like for at a real estate firm, and uh, she was really excited because it yeah. had been the first time that she'd been asked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating, Angela. I'd love to just. I always like to hear from my guests about what they, you know, ask them to be a little bit of a crystal ball readers and and mm. think about what do you see for this for energy transitioning over the next ten to twenty to thirty years. I'm involved with a with the, the Monaco Hydrogen Alliance, and we just had a conference last week, and there's a lot of really exciting stuff going on about hydrogen that is, you know, we're looking at it primarily in mobility, but there there seems to be really quite a lot of applications for that. You know, what I've kind of understood is that it's not like there's one solution, but that mm-hmm. the need is so great that we have to actually pursue every solution, <laughs> What what do you how do you see us moving forward in in the next ten? Well, I'm definitely no crystal ball. Like I'm I'm definitely no like fortune teller here. You know, I wish I wish I knew, but I think I mean. And so I would say, firstly, like I'm extremely excited about 
the amount of change that's happening. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, great things come from this. And I think it's definitely being driven by groups of individuals, like groups of individuals and organizations cross industry, you know, mm -hmm. cross sector. So to me, that's super exciting. And I think you're absolutely right. It's not one single solution, right? Uh, and aside from uh, energy, I think about water. Like I'm yeah. actually concerned about water. You know, you think about the Panama Canal, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, having a, you know, uh, transport issues due to, to, you know, dryness in that area. Yeah. And like, what right. happens, you know, right. like, it's not a COVID supply chain issue. It's another kind of supply yeah. chain issue. So I think mm -hmm. um, I, I'm just really, so I think that's an area of focus is what I would say. And I think it's, it's a, it has to be a lot of people involved and it's not one single solution. So it's not an, exactly a forecast there, Siri, that, um, <laughs> Well, I, that's what I, I have to say. I have to admit, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Panama Canal yeah. or the Suez Canal, but um, but now that now that you're going to put them on my radar, but yeah, I think yeah. I think probably the the broader theme is that um, nothing is going to be insulated, and and I think that reflects the the interconnectedness of our world, and and goes back to even our our politics, and you know how. Um, so many of the the things that we're dealing with, but particularly the the climate crisis, these are all interconnected and they don't stay within you know within national borders or mm -hmm. you know regions, and so they can't be addressed in isolation. Um, or or even to think, well, you know, um, your you know your sinking island over there actually you know has no impact on me your drought or your, you know, mudslides or your flooding, you know, as long as it doesn't get to me, because I was recently looking just at the, you know, just even the heat wave that we had last summer, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're, you've been following this as well, but, you know, last 2023 will be the hottest year on record. Um, 2024 is meant to be hotter than that. And it's not like that is something that we're really prepared for and we're finding so many ways that, that we're unprepared for it because it's having all mm -hmm. kinds of knock-on effects. And so there's a lot that companies are having to deal with and, and they're not able to say that it, it doesn't affect them. As you're saying, like the heat wave, you know, you're thinking about, and I've lived in, I lived in London for quite some time. I'm still kind of sort of back and forth, but you know, talking about winemakers now really having a boom in London, you know, in, <laughs> right. in, 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 in England, right. Yeah. You know, so what does that mean for the French and the Italian? Yeah. You know, you, you think about that or, you know, you think about, I don't know, your hotel and you hotel chain brand. And now you have to think about uh, the cost of, you know, increased air conditioning. Yeah. Or, you know, right? construction or, companies that can't yeah. work during the day anymore. You know, that, exactly. that, was, that was happening even this year where it was simply exactly. too hot for, you know, for several months for people to be outdoors. And, and I think that the important thing is that we want companies to be thinking about these things and, and not only being reactive, but ideally being proactive. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, you have and, the, I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Know, thinking about how, how can we contribute to getting to net zero? How can we contribute to, you know, clean water? How can we contribute to less plastic, less pollution? So that, um, you know, not only are we trying to find solutions to the problems that we've already made, but but rather 
finding solutions for problems we haven't, you know, quite, <laughs> quite had to come face to face with yet. Agree. I mean, I mean, as you're saying that too, it just reminds me of the importance of that communication mm. part. And, and you mentioned net zero, and and I think about some of the different sort of acronyms that are poor. Uh, I say poor, but that our executives are are grappling with, and they have to explain things, right? You know, right. to to internally, like yeah. Sure. But if you understand, if you understand, actually. I don't know, we need to meet a certain target because at a macro level, this is what's going to happen, mm. you know, and you, and you can put it in, in terms that, that are relatable to, to anybody. It's, it's, it's very important. It's helpful. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, that I'm sure that's an important part of what you do is, is helping um, the companies that you're working with to be able to communicate um, what they what they're doing in ways that can, that is digestible um, to exactly. all of their audiences. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I imagine the sustainability officer who's going on tour, you know, the investor tour, you know, has a certain way of communicating the kind of things that they're, they're working on, but, you know, it's also important how that is being communicated internally to, um, to staff. And I feel like everyone has to be a part of it. Um, for it to really, mm -hmm. you know, take ownership for it, for for these things to really be successful. Um, so I know uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I had one one other thing. Just you know, I touched on at the beginning that um, as we're recording this, COP twenty eight is just getting started in mm -hmm. in Dubai, and I've have noticed that quite a lot of businesses are showing up to COP, and the business sector seems to be taking a much greater role. And I'm just curious, um, you know, what are your thoughts or what have you, any trends or things that you've seen and, or any, if you're following COP, how closely and any expectations you might have for um, what this might mean for us? So absolutely, we're watching it very closely. We've got uh, members who are there and we've helped, uh, you know, inform some of the discussions that they're going to have. Um, but uh, when I think about COP, one, it's COP28. And, yeah. you know, our team went to New York Climate Week. And I don't know, it's been around for 20 years, too. And I really had to think, we really had to think as an organization about what's going to change this year. Like, there's a lot of momentum in, you know, in September in New York Climate Week on the back of, you know, the, the UN General Assembly. And this is, that's the sort of lead up to the COPs. And, you know, everybody gets really excited. And then uh, and then what happens? Like, you know, so my my hope is actually like there will be, you know, you've got global stakeholders here, people who can make decisions yeah. that are going to be there. And like, you know, a hope that they can come up with targets that are actually something that we can work towards. Right. Yeah. So I don't want it just to be another another year where people get excited and then, you know, they sort of take a break and then get ramped up again in September and then come right. back, you know? So I hope it, there's something quite meaningful. We've actually been doing some work on, uh, well, actually some of our members asked us about uh, voluntary carbon markets. Mm -hmm. And I think this is actually something that's interesting. We've yeah. done some, um, we've done some work on that and you'll actually see that there's a, a report that's, uh, that'll be published in, in the coming weeks. Uh, with the Voluntary Carbon Markets Integrity Initiative. So I think that's an interesting space to watch. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Good. Excited well, I, to see the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I feel like even more than past cops that a lot of people are paying attention. I think whoever is paying attention really wants to see something meaningful come out of it. 
and not just, mm-hmm. you know, walk away with, you know, their heads hanging down, <laughs> but, but yeah. really feel like, you know, we were able to do, you know, bring these people together and, and, and make a difference. Um, and, you know, we, we need it. It's, it's so necessary. I mean, I am, I would say I'm really interested in uh, the leadership of COP this year and sure. the fact that it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually fascinated with how it may be different. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you've got uh, someone from the energy sector and business sector, you know, leading the yeah. conference, I, I'm interested in how that might be different. So I'm definitely watching that one quite closely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think everybody is. And, and certainly there's already been a, a bit of um, a bit of backlash against that. I mean, I guess there was some at the beginning when when they were even chosen um, to ho- UAE chosen to to host um, this year's conference. But um, mm-hmm. I tend to feel like it's better to have everyone at the table rather than, you know, um, even if even if not everyone's perfect, but better to have them at the table so that there can actually be discussions rather than, you know, saying, well, we're, we can't talk with you until, you know, we're not going to deal with the oil industry until it's perfect or we're not going to deal with, you know, this country until they've got everything figured out because then it's going to be a long time before there's any real dialogue. So... Um, I, I, yeah, I really hope that there'll be some, some productive discussions and it will certainly be very interesting to see um, the leadership that the UAE takes on this and, and how that might impact the Gulf region and, and its approach to uh, fossil fuels. Yes, yes, <laughs> completely agree. Yeah, well, Angela, you've been a fabulous guest. Um, I like to wrap up with two questions, if you would. And the first one is, I, I love to give my guests a chance to give a shout out to a brand or a company that they feel is doing great work in the activism space. So who would you, who would you shout out? I don't know I would say activism, but, I, but if I think back to New York Climate Week, mm. I, w- I went to a presentation and there was um, a woman actually from Skanska, and she was so passionate about... Um, what she does, but actually she brought on stage a brick mm. of like a, a, an alternative, like it was a low energy or like a, a brick. And actually she said, you know what, it's expensive for us to do this, but we're doing it. And mm. so what I heard there is actually there, they were making an effort or an investment in a, in a solution and they knew it might be costly, right. but they were going to take that first mover advantage. Or they were going to, whether or not it was an advantage or a disadvantage. Right. And so I liked, I liked the disclosure there and I liked the understanding that, you know, it might be costly, but um, I don't know. That's the one that sort of uh, sticks in my mind at the moment. And then Angela, is there something that's made you laugh recently that you can share? Uh, I mean, I laugh all the time. (laughs) It can be little things, usually at myself. I think the uh, the one that still, I still sort of like laugh and like a cringe at is that uh, one of uh, one of the women on on the team? Um, you know, we work in a few different op- you know offices, so London and DC and uh, New York, and uh, we work out of a WeWork actually. And and uh, I was in New York, and my colleague had asked me to to meet her down in uh, like near Wall Street for the for to work at a WeWork, and I was like, yeah. So she uh, asked me to meet her down in Fiddy, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go down to Fiddy. And then I was talking to her, and she was like, Angela, it's FIDI, like the financial district. And I was like, oh, good, good gosh, you know. I actually worked down there for years and years, but I had no idea it was called that. And I was like, Fiddy, Fiddy said, you know, I don't know. But that's the one that still I sort of cringe at because I'd said it out loud. And um, mm. anyway. 
There yeah. you go. But but I laugh all the time. So if you're, I guess with as a as a former New Yorker myself, you either feel like you're in it or you're not. And <laughs> I think even if you're if you're out for a little while, you can very easily feel like you don't belong anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it made me feel old. Actually, it was like I only worked down there like ten years ago. You know, I still have clients and stuff down there. But um, yeah, yeah, so. There you go. Um, well, great. Um, Angela, thank you so much. And we will include some links in our show notes for people so they can um, find the Climate Board and learn more about what you do and, uh, you know, some, some of the other things that we discussed um, so that they can follow along. But um, it's really been interesting talking with you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing on this because I can imagine what a great resource you are for companies that are you know, wanting to take on some of these challenges, but maybe feel too overwhelmed or, or, you know, don't even know where to start. So it's great that you're, you're a resource for them. And, and I hope that, um, hope you stay really busy. <laughs> me too. And thank you so much, Siri. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on X and Instagram at Corp Activist. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions of your own or need some advice about corporate activism, social impact, and political engagement, please do send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Siri Kalsa. Ciao for now. Thank you.